Final Four is not on the schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to celebrate Michigan State's 69-60 win over Marquette in the second round as a Michigan State will advance to the Sweet 16 for the first time in a few years since 2019. Uh, a game, not surprising, Michigan State was bearing the threes from outside and just overwhelmed them. Oh wait, no, that wasn't what happened actually. <laughs> this, is, this, this is a game where Michigan State, uh, I guess, broke the uh, broke the, the mold, I guess you'd say, for their winning ways this season. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to stop briefly and thank, uh, uh, thank you supporters who are supporting us through monthly uh, donations through Patreon. You can find out ways of doing that at thefinalforceonthescheduled.com slash support. I'd also like to thank uh, Michael Cutlip. He sent a one-time gift via PayPal, and he wrote, The coverage you provide is excellent and spot on. I'm so happy Spotify suggested Tiff Knots in September. I've been listening to all the episodes since. I watch all of Eric's free throw percent performance at the Breslin. I'm sorry to hear that, Michael. Uh, and have fun at the Final Four, Eric, hopefully with our Spartans. And... Uh, inching closer you know, thanks, to Michael. that. Inching closer. I mean, <laughs> two games, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be awesome. I mean, I was just excited to be able to, to you know, put the Final Four on my schedule, but it'd be wonderful to put the Final Four on Michigan State schedule. And this is absolutely, you know, a huge step to get there. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it goes without saying you have to win games, but right. the way they did this, and I think just if we step back just real globally and look at this game and look at the Spartans team, and I think contrast this with Purdue and... Uh, you know, you see a Spartan team that all season has relied on the three in order to generate enough offense to compete. If they don't hit the threes, they've been, you know, I think that they put the stat up there, like basically 0-7 until they managed to win with just five threes against USC last game. Uh, so this game, they get two and yet still managed to win and, and not comfortably, but they certainly won the game by doing everything else. And the, they, they showed the versatility in what a Purdue team can't, right? Like Purdue had sort of one formula for being successful and it didn't work in the tournament. You know, you just ran to the wrong team or whatever. And I think this, it just shows the blueprint that I think Izzo has has based his entire formula on for the years he's been in East Lansing that just shows what Michigan State is and what it can do and just the different ways it can survive in, you know, in whatever environment it, gets, it finds itself in. I think the single most important trait that a team has to have in order to be able to, to really have a great chance to go on a run in March is to be able to win games in different ways. So I absolutely yep. agree a hundred percent with you on this. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Purdue because frankly, you know, no. they're in the rear view mirror. It's not interesting, but I will <laughs> yeah. say um, for about the last decade, if you're looking for the prime, people are focused on the specifics of what happened in their historic loss to, um, to FDU. But there are systemic things that go back a decade for Purdue. I think in large part because Matt Painter has married himself to, you know, we joke about it. Like anytime there's a, you know, a seven foot two kid <laughs> who's out there being recruited, it's like, well, he's going to go to Purdue. They got a type. Right. And, and it's true. 
it's for about a decade, not the entire time Matt Painter's been there, for, but for the last decade, they've had one variation or another of exactly that kind of player. And while that can be great for you in many ways, one aspect that it, I think, is a negative is when you play with guys like that, they out of necessity are at the center, no pun intended, of everything you do at both ends. They have to be. Right. And mm-hmm. it locks you into playing one way. And when you can't play different ways, it is hard to win in March. Case in point, the 2023 Michigan State Spartans. If we had told listeners heading into this weekend, Michigan State is going to make, what was it, a combined five three-pointers between the two games? I think, didn't they only well, they hit five last game? Did they to hit the five yeah, last so seven. game? I thought they only hit three. I think so. But anyway, yeah, whatever it is, single combined the two games, single-digit makes. Um, and they're going to win. And they're going to win at least in the final score fairly comfortably by an average of nine and a half points per game, you would have thought we were out of our minds, but it's true. <laughs> How did they do it? They did it by playing. I think the two best defensive games they've played all season. Yep. And at least I can't think of any better ones. And, uh, and by adjusting to what the opposing defenses were doing to them, both USC and Marquette clearly, sold out to do everything they could to take away threes and it worked. They limited the attempts and they limited the success rate. Now, Michigan state chipped in with that too. They missed quite a few open shots today, but you know, some of that was maybe windows were closing a little more quickly than they're used to. And you know, it starts getting in your head and all of that. So yeah, give them credit for that. But then the question becomes, okay, They're taking that away. What can you do to adjust? And in both of these games, Michigan State has been the best they've been all season long in attacking. They've got their guards have gone off the dribble and finished at the rim um, in ways that we haven't seen very often this year. They've gotten to the free throw line a decent amount. They didn't make it count very much against USC, but they sure as hell (laughs) did tonight. Mm-hmm. And those that's the sign of a team that's got a chance when you can, you can look at what you've kind of hung your hats on all year, see that not happening for whatever reason or taken away and say, okay, we've got a counter to that. We can, we can do something else, you know, Michigan state all year long, not a particularly productive offensive rebounding team. They're pretty damn good in this one. Yeah. Um, you know, they did, they did things that you wouldn't have expected based on the regular season, but you know, it, this is not the first time we've seen Michigan state in March kind of change up what they've been for a lot of the season and find another gear. And they've done that. I think it's also a, um, It's also a function, I think, of their experience. I think in this game, what was it, a one-point game at the under-four timeout? I think, if I remember Uh, correctly. Maybe about five minutes left, but yeah, it was close. was close. Yeah, it was close at the under-four. And Michigan State just put the hammer down. Marquette, we we talked about it a little bit. We didn't emphasize it a lot, but 
you know, for a team that has all the high hosannas son about them as Marquette has had, they are a young team. The whole yeah, lot right. of sophomores up and down that roster. And while that's a good sign, likely for Shaka Smart's program's future, because I think they'll get chances to be back in this position um, mm-hmm. today, the, the older, tougher, more experienced team made plays when it counted and the younger team didn't. And it was as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about the second weekend thing with Izzo, but I think, and I think I was watching a, a video. It was probably uh, Comperoni speaking to Condike. They're just talking about just the difference in, in interviewing and talking to Michigan State yep. players about yep. their opponent in the second game versus other opponents talking about Michigan State. And he said, there's, you know, you talk to Michigan State players and they're talking about how they're, you know, what the other players like to do. What do they like go right? Do they go left? Do they shoot threes? Do they, you know, drive and kick, whatever. And you talk to the other team about Michigan State, and they're like, oh, yeah, this guy's a good player. He gets a bunch of assists. You know, they're more generalized, kind of like, I mean, in many ways, probably like we are. We're talking about, you know, some other team that, you know, that you're playing that you don't have a chance to watch much because you just say, you look at their stats, you look at their analytics at Ken, Ken Palm, and you just sort of get an idea of what the team is like. But until you actually like break down film, you don't know. If that, uh, right. there was a great example that probably most of our listeners, I, I would, I don't know why you would come across it, you know somebody who's a fanatic like myself does. <laughs> um, there was a clip of a kid from Auburn who was asked a question about what he, something to do with Kelvin Sampson, the Houston coach. And he didn't know who Kelvin Sampson was. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And, and look, I, as, as, as Jim and Paul mentioned in that video, which was actually really, really good. Um, that particular, that particular episode, I think, um, the ability to, um, break opposing teams down in short order, get your team prepared, get a scouting report together and, and get it understood and imparted to your team. That doesn't guarantee success because you still got to go out and execute. The other team yeah, still sure. has the players they've got, et cetera, et cetera. But is it an advantage? Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about it with Eric Qualman, right? They've yeah. been doing this a long time, and technology's changed. It's it's actually probably, probably made easier. it, at least in theory, harder to have an advantage because it's easier to get, like, you know, a team's entire season, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. now than it used to be in the 90s, as he was talking about, you know, FedExing. <laughs> Uh, FedExing VHS tapes, you know, um, but but Michigan State is still just better at this stuff than everybody else, and I think that was I think that was on display certainly early in the game. Yes, today no question. I think Marquette did settle in as the game went on, played better, um, but uh, and they're a talented team. You know, they they certainly do some things very very well. But I, I do think Michigan State's advantage in preparation showed up. And look, here, here's a couple of numbers that I think drive it home. The, the first one, I think, is well known by a lot of fans. Tom, we mentioned it the other day. Tom is now 24 and 7. seven. Yep. Yeah. 24 and 7 in second games of a weekend all time. Uh, that is not an accident. It's pretty good. But here's the second number that really validates, I think, that first one, because 
you could be, you could have a record that was somewhere in that ballpark, maybe if you had just, you just had superior talent, you know, right. Mike Krzyzewski, um, John Calipari, uh, you know, in, back in the day, Dean Smith, you know, people like this, they usually, most of the time they had the better talent in the, in mm-hmm. the games that they were playing. Tom Izzo, this is the 16th NCAA tournament game. He has won as the lower seed that is number one, all time, anybody, anybody. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd have to go through and figure out how many of those happened in the second game of a weekend, but I'll, I can, without even thinking hard, I can think of several off the top of my head. Um, where we've seen that happen. The last time Michigan State got to the final four, when they beat Duke, they were the two seed, Duke was one. So that was an example. Um, When they got to uh, the final four in 2015, I believe they did it three times in that run. They did it in this round, they did it in the Sweet 16, and they did it in yeah. the Elite Eight. So I, I just, seven seed. I just yeah. and today I just counted, I've just counted five without even thinking hard, and four <laughs> of those were second game of a weekend. So yeah, that validates in my mind what we're talking about. Because you can't just say, well, but Tom Izzo's usually had the better team. Not according to the seeding. Now you could say, well, maybe they were underseeded in a lot of those years, and I would agree with that. I think that that 2019 team, it was a travesty that they were a two seed. They shouldn't have been Duke. Duke would back that up. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but most of the time, you know, one way or another, they've kind of earned whatever their seeding is, but it, it goes to show you that that it's about more than that. And the advantage that I believe Michigan state has in terms of who their coach is and how he handles this time of year is profound and obvious. And so for all the people who were crowing about, oh, they haven't been out of the first weekend the last two years, or they've missed it five in the last six or whatever nonsense it was, suck it. <laughs> suck it. Take that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, without a doubt, he shows – and I think he shows the fact that it is so important to be successful in at the NCAA tournament. You look at a guy like Matt Payne, I don't want to keep bringing up Purdue, but I think it's a good example. We have a team that has been a program that has been extremely successful in sure. the Big Ten. I mean, multiple Big Ten titles, sure. Big Ten tournament championships. Sure. Yet they don't last in the NCAA tournament. And and that is where people really judge you. And we talked about this but one or two episodes ago where it's so, it's sort of a shame because you're not really great in your body of work as a coach, yes. as a program. You relates how you're successful in the postseason if you're a bigger program. I mean, obviously, like a St. Peter's or anything, if you just make the tournament, they're excited. But for most Power 5 programs, how successful you are in March is, is a reflection of how successful you're perceived by your peers and also by, certainly by Absolutely. your fan base. And anyway, I mean, the, he has he's been very smart about it from the beginning and and I would talk also just speak briefly that when I was at do it, this is like a name drop here, but when I, when I you know, hit my free throws to win the free throw competition, I got to go back behind. I met Izzo briefly, real briefly, but I spent a few minutes with the video guy. He's like, he does, he's a guy who takes, does a video breakdown for every game that Michigan State plays. And, um, which interestingly, he was a former Michi- university of Michigan basketball player. Are you talking about, you're talking about Doug Herner? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Doug Herner is also a legendary 
former high school basketball coach in Lansing. He was coach at Lansing Sexton for a long, long time. It was through that that he developed a relationship with Judd and and then of course Izzo. But yeah, he's right. He's actually he's a yeah he's a he's, he's a he's very a nice guy. Ser- yeah, and he's a very very serious figure in the history of basketball in this state. You're right. He played for Michigan. But anyway, the interesting thing is he was there breaking it down. I thought you know to your point that there's a there's a bit of a the. Uh, you know, there's probably like an arms race with information, right? Like, you know, now that you used to have an advantage that you got the videotapes, you had a better relationships right. for all these teams. But now if you got someone whose job and, and you put a, an emphasis on it as a program to make sure you break down this video and stuff, I'm sure he was there breaking down that stuff long before. Like, I'm sure that was done. He was breaking down the other two t- potential matchups, like, you know, Vermont and Marquette. Sure. Well before this game. So that, so the coaches had all that stuff and then, the, you know, they were able to just get that as an advantage. And that's probably something a lot of places just don't do. I mean, some places don't have the resources, but well, you think with the power five schools, you're going to have those resources. It, but, but that's the thing. It's great to have the resources. And that's, I would, I would describe that as necessary, but not sufficient. Um, mm-hmm. It's necessary to have access to that stuff, do it well, but that alone is not going to get the job done. Uh, you're going to have to have the ability to work with that information quickly, break it down make it understandable for your team and get them to comprehend it and execute it. So it's all of that. And by the way, you're not having the advantage of getting to go in a gym and do this. You're doing it in ballrooms, hotel ballrooms, typically, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and, and you're doing it on, on individual players, uh, you know, uh, tablets these days. You know, they're getting video sent and, and it's, it's all of that and making that come together and make it, make it understandable quickly so that you can put something into place that will actually work. And it is a remarkable skill set. And I'm not saying, look, we got to be really careful. The most important part in all of it, (laughs) of course, is the players who go out there and execute it. They've got to yeah, execute oh, sure. it, yeah. but, but, you know, this is, Izzo's got a saying he's used for forever. He says to his players, when they go into the tournament, you get me through the first one, I'll get you through the second. Right. And boy, has that been a truism for 25 years? I mean, this is, it's, it's remarkable stuff. And I, you know, I was, uh, I was getting, uh, I got a text right before we started from, um, from my sister who lives on the East coast. Her husband is a big Yukon guy and, you know, all her mm-hmm. friends are East coast people. And one of them had just said to her, you know, he thinks Izzo's the best tournament coach there is. And I said, well, yeah, I said, that's, that's, yeah, ob- of course, that's <laughs> obvious. Um, but I also said to her, you know, I fully recognize, and every time we have one of these, now that it's, you know, we all hope that that, that, that end is going to be pushed off for as long as it can be. But I think we all recognize somewhere along the line in the relatively near term, it's going to come to an end, you know, right. whether that's five years, seven years, whatever it is, some point soon ish, it will come to an end. We're never going to see this again. And I don't say that to be fatalistic 
or depressing or any of those things, but, <laughs> but rather it should be seen as a positive. It's a, God embrace this. Don't we talk about this more than I'd like to, but it, but it, it has to be said too often. It had to be said this year a lot. Yeah, for sure. Don't take this for granted. This doesn't happen other places. It doesn't relish this every time we get one of these relish it enjoy the hell out of it appreciate it because it doesn't happen and it's not gonna happen the same way i mean i just got done as we're recording this watching i've got the yukon game which just ended on the screen and yukon won got back to the sweet 16 i think this is their first trip since 14 maybe when they won it no since kevin ollie when they but but still a long time what's that eight nine years that's a long time and we're talking about a program that's considered to be you know in the near elite category i think um with the run they've had for the last 30 years or so it doesn't happen like we've had it happen so just whatever happens in madison square garden relish this appreciate it yeah no question because we're not going to see his likes again we're just yeah. not i i hope what we see next is really good and i i think it can be but it's not going to be this well let's talk about the individual players and in just a moment before we begin i just want to remind you that if you're in the west side of the state in the grand rapids area and you have gutter problems or maybe you're not even sure if you have gutter problems Make sure you have the brothers that just do gutters come by and check things out. They do fantastic work. They go work in any type of weather as long as it's safe. If it's raining, if it's snowing, they'll be out there and get things taken care of. If you're like me and have your gutters were a mess, leaving puddles of water everywhere, full of debris. I had a tree growing in my gutter. I had downspouts that were messed up. I had uh, places I didn't even have downspouts. They fixed all that up. They did everything. They took great care of me and did it like in two days and only because it was like a torrential downpour in 40 degree weather. So they had to stop early for one day. So they were, uh, I mean, they did a fantastic job. They also had a wide selection of different products and colors and things like that. So you can get, you know, you don't have to just have this classic white gutters. You can have browns and all sorts of different colors that might match your house or hydro gutters and downspouts. So it's not as prominent. Anyway, you absolutely have to check out, uh, check them out. They are in the Grand Rapids area, like I said, all the way out to Lakeshore, like the Muskegon, Holland, Saugatuck, up to Rockford, out to Lowell. Contact Kurt Stauffer and his team. It's K-U-R-T dot S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R at brothersgutters.com. You get 10% off if you mention Final Four when you reach out to him. And the details that will be linked in the show notes uh, beneath the uh, podcast. All right. So, I mean... You've been talking about it since last year, and I think it's and it's definitely this year there's been a change in Tyson Walker and sort of his approach to the game, his understanding of who he is and who what his role is in, in this team. And really since January, I think it's it's been uh, more pronounced in the fact that he's recognizes that he's it's incumbent upon him to to just take over and just to shoot and to score. And and I think was it a week or two ago you said, you know, he just sort of has finally realized that he's the baddest man on the court. And there is, that was like his own Tyson Walker run at the end of the game, just to close things out. He was incredible. I will just start with him because he finishes eight of 17 in the field over three from three, because you know, who was hitting three pointers, seven for eight from the line. He had a couple of defensive rebounds, two assists, no turnovers and a steal for 23 points in 36 minutes. 
Um, phenomenal. Just, 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 just phenomenal. Um, I, I can't, I can't say enough about the job he did down the stretch, but it wasn't just him. They got big plays from everybody. Oh yeah. Right. But Tyson was the ringleader. There's no doubt about that. Um, his aggressiveness, that play that took it from nine to 11, where he stripped their point guard and <laughs> went down and dunked it. I mean, you want to talk about just an exclamation point. Obviously they still had a minute left. They needed to see the game out, but that was it. That was game over. Yeah. He slammed the door shut on them as if he hadn't before that with his finishes at the rim, his, his mid range jumpers. Um, he controlled that game late as much as anybody and look, it's a mentality and it was the thing that needed to change. As you said, I've been droning on about it for a long time. And, and Tyson <laughs> really frustrated me last year, not because of what he couldn't do, but because of what he could do and yet did for whatever reason, you know, um, mm-hmm. that changed this year. And for pretty much the entirety of the year, I think his mentality has been where it needed to be. I mean, mm-hmm. I really do. Um, and he's had some tremendous games. He's had two 30 point plus scoring games. Um, he's had other games where he didn't put up numbers quite that devastating, but boy, he made big shots, big plays. Um, and, uh, and, and he hasn't been any better than he was today. I mean, it's just, he looks like a guy, as you said, he knows he's the baddest man on the court and his, he's playing like the stereotypical New York city point guard. Uh, he knows he's the baddest man on the court. He's going to play that way and he's going to let you know it. And, and it's going to be really interesting because in this, not to get ahead of ourselves, but in this sweet 16 matchup that's coming up, uh, it's going to be a New York city, a battle of the New York city point (laughs) guards. And the kid from Kansas state was really impressive today, but you know what? I'm okay with number two in green. I'll take my chances. Yeah, I think you know. I think it's easy to get lost on what he did on the offensive end, but it, but it's um, the what he did defensively was so huge too. I mean, obviously, like the strip steal at the very end of the game, but uh, he only was credited with steal. But just uh, denying their penetration and just the defense he's playing. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he the fact that he can do it at both ends is so important. Yeah, I, it has been all year. I mean, look, he's yeah. His his one weakness is occasionally if he gets in a bad physical matchup with somebody who's just a lot bigger, um, there have been some rare instances where that's happened, but they're rare. Usually he's able to dictate things with his defense. Um, and uh, yeah, he just he's just become a great, great player. And, and I think it's, I think it's very cool that the country is getting to see him on a big stage because his, his play deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. And moving on to next guard, AJ Hogard, who we always say is the instrumental to this team and how they play. He came out, was good right from the start. Well, I say that yet he got stripped right away. The very like first five (laughs) seconds of the game, kind of lost it. 
lost attention, lost focus, but, but it didn't bother him. And he came back and he really led that quick spurt where they're up what nine or 11 to two yes. on uh, Marquette. Yep. And he was locked in the whole game. Foul trouble plagued him. I thought a couple of those offensive fouls were really like, ugh. I mean, they were, well, he had five, he had Steven, he had five turnovers for the game. And I think three of them were offensive fouls. Yeah. Three were offensive fouls. Yeah. yeah. And a, it, one it of was, them a was an offensive foul. Yeah. The last the other, two were the other like, two were seriously really bad. The, the last yeah. one in particular was an awful call. Just, Oh awful. yeah. Uh, yeah. It's unfortunate, but you know, that's the thing. I'm not going to Dane AJ for the five turnovers in this game. Cause I don't think that was really on him. I think for most of that game, it was very clear how important he is to what Michigan state does. Right. Especially defensively. I mean, well, that was that even too. more. Yeah. I mean, the pace certainly in offense, but defensively he was able to, yeah. you know, prevent a lot of that. He was, he was good there, but you know, their offense really went through some tough stretches where he wasn't yeah. on the floor. Um, I thought he was really, um, really poised and made good decisions in terms of when to try and get his own offense. Mm -hmm. Um, that was important. And, you know, there was a great play late and it was, as I was saying a few moments ago, late in that game, everybody stepped up and made a play every single one of them. One that AJ made was when he penetrated and kicked to Joey Hauser in the corner who hit a huge three to take it from two to five. Now Marquette came right back down and hit a three themselves, but, but (laughs) nevertheless, you, you needed that shot. And I think it was that play that gave Michigan state the offensive momentum that they needed to see this one out. And it was just a great decision from AJ. He, He penetrated, forced the defense to contort, and then kicked it to his shooter, had confidence in him. And of course, Joey had confidence to take the shot as he should, and he hit it. Um, but it was a great, great moment from AJ. I thought he was, I thought he was really good again, and he's going to need to be really good one more time. And then a, hopefully yeah. a time after that, I mean, hopefully, hopefully four more times as right? far as they go, it's gotta be <laughs> AJ Hogard playing well. Right. Well, you know, speaking of Joey, Playing, playing against his former team, although he pointed out, you know, and I don't think they really made much of a deal, big deal about it because none of the players were ones right. that he played with. Yeah. The coaches were totally different. I mean, Joey, Joey could have graduated and left Michigan State last year, so he's obviously outaged the entire program there. So he was three of eight from the field. He struggled like a little bit late uh, trying to get some uh, the mid-range jumpers. Uh, he was one for three from three. That last one, of course, you mentioned, huge. Seven for seven from the line. Finished with 10 boards, one offensive rebound. Uh, had a steal and a turnover, 14 points, but he was huge. And aside from the Michigan State having trouble keeping their tennis shoes on, where they kept falling off, I'm not sure they need to get a like, yeah. practice tying their lacing their shoes or something. But it was kind of cool seeing the crowd, hearing the crowd chant Joey in a you know heavily Michigan State crowd. But he played he played a great game. I mean, no one's perfect, but I think defensively he was pretty solid. And because it's a tough team to with all the switches and ball screens, for sure. Um, I wanted to look at. Yeah, I mean, Prosper had a good game. He had 16 points, and he was the guy Joey was primarily guarding. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that I think that it, you're right in a game like this with the amount of switches that Marquette forces, the amount of action and movement there is, it was still a good defensive effort from Joey. I was still pretty happy with what he did there. And then, look, anytime you put up a double-double in an NCAA tournament game, you're delivering 
and and he goes <laughs> out saying he yeah. hit he hit free throws and he made he made the biggest jumper of the game in my mind because it was the one that I think really launched them for that closing stretch offensively. Um, so, you know, what more can you say? He's a veteran, yeah. like a lot of these guys, he's a veteran that's playing like a veteran and that's all, that's all you can ask for. And as we could say in this game, AJ had the first half three and Joey had the second half three. Yep. <laughs> it's really strange. Uh, the other guard, Jay Nakins, Really struggled. He's 0 for 5 from 3, 2 for 8 from the field, uh, 1 for 3 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds, one of them offensive, had an assist, had a steal. But that dunk he had where oh. he had fouled and he couldn't fin- complete the end one, yeah. you're really starting to see that athleticism and and that yep. and everything that you were used to. I, boy, he was he's, was ice cold these first two games really with the 3, and you've got to figure he'll be back uh, the next round. He's going to be a lot better and more locked in, dialed in because otherwise he'd have had way more than 5 points. It, he'd have you know, a dozen or more. If I were Jerome Tang, I would be absolutely terrified. And one of the main reasons is <laughs> Michigan state could not possibly shoot worse than they have in these first two games from three. And you know, you know that a breakout is coming. Oh yeah. You're, you're just praying that you get one more off day and that's enough to get you over the hump. Jaden Akins had open shots that just did not fall. They were good looks. Wide open. They were good looks. Yeah. Just didn't fall. I'm fine with taking them. Keep taking them. In the Kansas State game, take those shots. You know, they're going to fall for mm-hmm. him eventually. He's too good a shooter for it not to happen. But again, he's finding ways to contribute. Uh, these high-end athleticism plays he's making. I always <laughs> like to say, and I, we'll see if I'm right about this. The deeper you get into the tournament, so once you get to the second weekend, I think sometimes it comes down to having a guy who can make a 95th percentile play sure, that nobody else can. And Michigan State does have a guy in Jaden Akins who physically is capable of doing that. And that can manifest in different ways, but he's the most obvious guy who falls into that category because of what you just mentioned and what we've seen now in both of these games where he's had moments like that, that take you out of your seat. Um, and so if, if, if that's him on days when he's struggling, look out <laughs> when the shots fall, as we know. Right. And, and he was strong defensively, right? Absolutely. I mean, so you can say offensively, he struggled a little bit from the, the shot. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could all say, well, he's two for three from the field and then it is over five from three. Yeah, right? he was. Uh, yep. And actually, the same could be said for Malik Hall. He was two for three from the from the field and then over four from three. And we had we five looks. rebounds, two of them offensively. Great looks. They just didn't fall. But you know what? Yeah. There's another guy made a huge play with an offensive rebound. Oh, that offensive. Yeah, that was that was a game right when he yeah. got that rebound. Yeah, it really was. That might be the most important play during that closing stretch was that one. Mm-hmm. Cause it kept that possession alive. They end up scoring and, and it was just a backbreaker, just an absolute backbreaker for Marquette. And that's, you know, that was something that we heard um, from Mike Garland when we talked to him about the, the impact emotionally in a game, when you're able to offensive rebound against an opponent and what it does to them. And that was right. one of those moments, not just the, the game situation, obviously was huge. MSU gets to reset. They get another 20 seconds 
to take off the clock. All, all of those things are obvious. But I just, at least for me, I just felt some of the air go out of the Marquette tire at that point, you know? So Malik delivering. And Malik played a good defensive game. I mean, Michigan State had nine steals, I believe, in this game. Yeah, he had three of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I brought and especially it up. late. He had a two yes. of them, like the last he five was minutes. Very, very aware when Marquette was trying to push the ball, yeah, and got himself into passing lanes on a couple of occasions for those steals. So he made contributions. And then look, the the guy I really want to celebrate because he's the one member of this team we've had on this podcast this season. Um, yeah. He's obviously for reasons that I think are <clears throat> very should be very obvious. All of our listeners is just a fantastic kid, um, human being. Yeah, he's doing he's doing such great things for his community in Mali. But to see Madi Sissoko, and you saw how much it meant to him. You saw it on the bench when they had shots toward the end of the game, and then the way he celebrated after it was over. I mean, it means so much to these guys, but him especially, it was visible how much it meant. And, and the fact that he was such a big contributor to it, you know, to yeah, let me read the stat line. Yeah. So 21 minutes, three for three from the field, two for two from the line, 10 rebounds, three of them offensive, yep. a turnover, two blocks, two steals and finish with eight points. So almost a double, double, two huge blocks late. Now <laughs> the Marquette people will cry about the first one. Yeah, that was um, definitely a block, but it, it should, when, Look, I go with Gene Studatore. You know, when they when they call him in, he's always right, right? And he <laughs> said he felt it was simultaneous, which is a good block. That sounded good to me. Um, but they were both huge plays in in those moments for for Madi to show up. I thought he was a tower of strength on the boards, and I thought it's it's hard for people to fully realize. I think. The blocks are loud plays, but he was a huge, huge defensive presence in this game. The kid he was guarding. Um, also, Ecuador. Yeah. Yeah. Ecuadoro is a second team, all big East player. And he, that guy absolutely chewed up Vermont. And, and you can see why, if you watch that game, he, and I mentioned this in our preview. He is a very unusual five man because he's a very good passer. He's a very good ball handler. He's mobile. He's smooth. You know, he doesn't look like a five man typically looks. And when Mati Sissoko was on that floor, he wasn't doing sh. He wasn't getting anything done. Now he got some things done ironically when Michigan state went small and, you know, Steve Lapis was calling for it and then rightly corrected himself said you know what i was calling for this but it's clear i was not the right move because that's when the kid got going was against yeah, michigan right. state's small ball lineup you know and it wasn't a bad steve lapis knows the game obviously it wasn't a bad <laughs> thought i thought we might see more small ball from msu than we typically do in this game partially because of that but yeah. Madi sissoko was great defensively right. he's athletic enough to 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 handle it he was so good in ball screens he never let that kid really establish himself and get wheeling and dealing which is what you worry about where he gets going and he's kind of 
he's kind of facing you up or even backing you down a little bit. But again, he doesn't do it with strength. He, he does it with quickness and a great handle. And then when the, if he beats the primary defender, help's got to come. He's an outstanding passer. You, you know, that's Marquette's whole deal. We talked about it in the preview that they are an outstanding passing team, but it's, it's unusual in that so much of it happens inside the arc and without a conventional low post guy. It's a lot of cutting, quick passing, and you saw them try to do that, and they had some success with it during small stretches of the game, but Michigan State never really let them feel comfortable for a long period of time, and a big part of the reason why was Mati Sissoko, and I'm going to give an assist to Carson Cooper, who for the I was second say straight be game next. also yep. played very well. What do you have, two points? And four two, rebounds. One for one, two, two off, uh, two offensive rebounds. Yep. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and then a, a block. Yep. I thought he was really again and again. Those numbers don't capture the most important thing he did, which was play solid, competent, responsible ball screen defense. Because that's what Marquette does. I mean, they just ball screen you to death, and it puts. I always talk about how defensively I think the most important guy in modern basketball is the five and it's not because or it's not just because oh it's rim protection and you need to be able to block shots blah 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 that's part of it but it's not the majority of it the majority of it is you've got to have a five man who can get the job done in ball screen defense it is Mm -hmm. the key to everything because so many offenses are ball screen heavy and Marquette is at the far end of that nationally. Like that's really all they do is run ball screens. And if you don't have a five man who can hang in there, you've got trouble. And Michigan state had two who hunt in there pretty damn well today. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing. The progression you've seen with Carson from earlier this season, just his recognition and the way he hedges and, and protects that. I mean, there's there's no question. You watch him and Madi. That Madi's much better at ball screen defense than he is. But it's not a cliff that you're falling off when he comes in the game. The gap's now. narrowing. He's very competent, right? The, the gap's narrowing. And you know, I, something else that I'll, I'll give another shout out to Spartan Mag. Um, they had an interview with Doug Wojcik heading into this game, and Carson Cooper came up because he played so well against USC. And Doug Wojcik said things that I know we've talked about, but it was nice to hear them articulated so specifically by a guy on the coaching staff. Carson Cooper's feet, his footwork is high level. He is a high level athlete for a five man. So when you've got those raw tools and it's not just, oh, he can run fast in a straight line. He's got lateral quickness. And you see it, you see it exhibited in these games. If you're paying attention, what was always going to take some time was, would he be strong enough to hang playing high major basketball? And is he going to be able to translate, use his physical tools and, and have the mental part of the game, his understanding, allow them to translate. And that's the part that uh, can take some time, you know? And yep. we've seen it over and over again at Michigan State. I can't count the number of big men we've, we've seen that have taken a while to adjust. But when the light clicks on, you know, I always think about a guy like Drew Namick, just 
never looked comfortable for a lot of his career to the point that it, it made some people assume he was unathletic. No, he, not only was he not unathletic, he's one of the best five-man athletes Tom Izzo's ever had. But once he got, once he got the mental part of it down, the physical tools were then able to take over and impact the game. Right. And he became one of the best five-man defenders Izzo's had. You know, some guys get it quicker than others. Xavier Tillman got it pretty quickly. His freshman year, Draymond Green, you know, some of these, we're talking about exceptional, Antonio Smith, we're talking about exceptional basketball minds there. But I I think it's undeniable that Carson Cooper in the second half of this season has made a jump. Now, it's not the kind of jump that a lot of casuals are going to recognize, but if you're paying attention, you should be noticing it because it's real. And I think that's why next season, you know, this three-headed group they've got at the five is is set to, I think, become a problem around the Big Ten. And that does not mean that I think these guys are going to go out and average a combined 30 and 20. But I think we're going to see much greater consistency on the defensive end, much greater consistency in rebounding, and more offensive impact how much more remains to be seen but you know that's two straight games of combined double digit scoring from the five spot between yeah. between Madi and, and Carson Jackson only played a minute today this really wasn't a, a Jackson Kohler game um, because of the the heavy amount of ball screens that Kansas State plays right. but put him in there too um, this is a group to get excited about man these guys are still really young and really inexperienced oh, and, and as they're gaining experience, you're see, you should be noticing the strides that are being made because they're real. And Carson Cooper, definitely a guy to get excited about going forward. No question. Yeah, I think had you looked at this game, well, had you know this is going to happen two months ago and, saw, and seen that Cooper play 60 minutes, you'd have been shocked, I think, that, that he right. played that right. much uh, time in, in the second round game in the NCAA tournament. Uh, also, I would say, you know, if, if, if Michigan State was a professional team, you would absolutely say that the acquisition of Carson Cooper was a high value acquisition, right? You got some guy who's, I mean, kind of like, you know, the last round of the draft or something like that. He was an afterthought in many respects. Uh, at least that was the impression a lot of us got. And I think even Michigan State staff wasn't quite sure what they got until they got him in, onto campus. I think they like, I think they like what the athleticism said about his long range potential. But yeah, I don't think they knew, oh, he can help us this year until they got him on campus and then they could tell. Um, I, I actually think, you know, the thing that's been most surprising to me, he's obviously got a lot of developing he can and hopefully will do in terms of his strength, but it has not been a huge problem. You know, obviously you're playing the, the Edie's and yeah, the Dickinson's sure, of the world. Yeah. You but know, everybody looks- yeah. Everybody's going to have a problem with those guys. So that's not my measuring stick, but by and large. Carson Cooper, from a strength perspective, does not look out of place. And that's been a very pleasant surprise to me. And, and I think it, it really should offer some optim- reasons for optimism for the future, because you can assume he will continue to get stronger. He will fill out a little bit more. And when you combine that with his athletic ability and yeah. More, what more experience is going to give him in terms of his his understanding? Uh, look, there's. <laughs> I, I will say this: 
there's not a lot of guys, or rather, let me put it more positively. When you look at other guys who have made a late season push as freshman big men to kind of force their way into a greater role, those are are guys who have generally ended up being very, very good players. I am not saying he is going to have a Draymond Green or Xavier Tillman career trajectory because that would be extreme. But there aren't a lot of other guys who fit this mold, who have been, who have just kept getting better and forced themselves into a bigger role this late in their freshman seasons. But he is, he is doing that. And that's a, that's a big positive for this team and for him. So um, hats off to both those guys for just doing a great job at the five. Yeah. And I think, you know, just one last point is that what a contrast from last year. I mean, I think we all liked Marcus Bingham a lot, but the strength issue when you have got Sissoko and Cooper out there versus having a Marcus yeah. Bingham, it, it is quite a difference. It's quite a contrast, you know, where you used to having Michigan State fives not get, not get pushed around like a Tillman or like, you know, Jaron Jackson be a good example as well. People who, you know, are, have a solid Nick base. Ward, yeah, usually Nick it Ward hasn't too, been a, yeah. it hasn't been a problem historically for Michigan State, but you're right. You know, Marcus had other strengths. I think Marcus as a senior was a pretty damn good player. I would have very much welcomed him back on this year's team had he oh, opted to return. Sure, yeah. But you're right. He was a guy who never and that's kind of a, a good comparison point with someone like Carson Cooper because on paper it might have looked similar. Mm-hmm. But I think the way it's worked out, I would put Carson Cooper strength-wise definitely in at least at least the junior-senior Marcus Bainham realm and well beyond what Marcus was at a similar point in his MSU career. So that's really encouraging. Particularly, the, the biggest thing is that um, Carson Cooper, and this gets overlooked by people a lot because they can focus more and see more easily the upper body stuff, but Carson Cooper's got a fairly big bottom end and that matters. That really does matter. So much work is done in the post below the waist, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he is already position, not getting pushed out of the lane. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you use to carve out space. And, and Carson Cooper has a decent starting point for that already. All right. Well, let's go and uh, go into our keys of the game. Brought to us, uh, brought to you by Nudge Printing. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing is a company owned and operated by Gabe and Brittany, MSU alums. All their products are made in the state of Michigan. They have fantastic, high-quality apparel, hoodies, sweatshirts, T-shirts. I have a number myself, ones I use for shooting the free throws. Very wearable, very comfortable, and at least as much as I've worn them and washed them, you can't even tell. They're, I mean, they look fantastic. I'd highly recommend any of their products. You can head on over to nudgeprinting.com. Not only can you get Spartan gear and also cool vintage gear like old Sparty, Gruff Sparty and um, even things, especially some of the football ones are like really old, like I don't know, the 1940s or something like that. So you can get all those sorts of things. You can have the only one at your tailgate with this kind of cool stuff, but also other Michigan schools. So if you have a house divide, you've got someone who you live with who's from Central or Eastern Michigan or Ferris State, Grand Valley. They have that sort of gear as well. Nothing from the University of Michigan, which is just fine. Uh, you can head on over to final, or sorry, head over to nudgeprinting.com, enter in Final Four into the checkout and get 20% off your purchase. They also have been instrumental in helping the Spartan Strong uh, fundraising effort so that you can get their products there. I think they might be sold out right now, but you can get access it too from Nudge Printing. And if you take a screenshot of your written review to, to, uh, to uh, our show on your podcast player, email it to me at eric at tffinots.com. I can get you a coupon for $5 off your purchase in addition to the 20% off. All right, so let's talk about the five keys of the game against Marquette. The first one is be strong, and that was mainly a discussion about not turning the ball over. Michigan State finished with 13 turnovers. I mean, it was kind of funny because I was like, be strong, and then the first thing is Tyson gets his pocket picked, or Tyson, or AJ gets his pocket yeah. picked in like the first five seconds of the game for a layup. I'm like, oh, this is not yep. good. My thought uh, but exactly. After that, after that, I mean, there were a couple, like, I think, I know AJ, especially late in the second half, he had a, a he tried to get a pretty impossible pass down in the lane. It got picked off. But for the most part, the press didn't get him maybe once. Uh, and actually, probably net, it was a net negative for Marquette. So they were, I think, overall very strong with the ball this game. I mean, 13 turnovers for a Michigan State team, that's really good in most years. In And in this kind of game, it was acceptable. But here's the bigger thing. Uh, Marquette only had three steals and I can't right. remember what they averaged on the season, but it was a lot higher than that. They, and, and they forced, I think it's 16 and a half turnovers a game. So Michigan state yeah. was well below that and Michigan state won the turnover battle, which you never would have called because Marquette does a great, it was like the, the, the teams flip. Yeah. Cause they're, they have a really, that's part of the offensive efficiency rate because they don't turn the ball over much. And Michigan State, and it wasn't, look, they had 16 turnovers, but it wasn't like Michigan State's. Most of Michigan State's were offensive fouls, really offensive fouls. I think yeah. they had like five. Like five of them, you at least. You had three on AJ, yeah. and I think there were at least two um, fouls had on one. screens. Malik had one. Yep. Um, yep. So those were, they had the one that were, they didn't break the press, the 10-second call. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a, a little bit of that, but these were dead ball turnovers. They weren't yeah. the stuff you really worry about. Whereas Marquette, 16 turnovers, nine steals by Michigan State. That was a big, big, big difference in this game. Michigan State, you know, if you think about, if you think as sometimes it gets characterized, to put it in football context, if you think about turnovers and rebounding as special teams, because they they get you, you know, the way that people will talk about special teams is hidden yards, right? 
So the mm -hmm. difference between the way you punt and punt cover and the way you return punts or the way you handle kickoffs, all those kind of things can actually have a big impact on a game. In basketball, it's even stronger because turnover differential and rebounding differentials lead directly to more opportunities to score. So, I mean, it's just that simple. And Michigan State had advantages in both of those areas. I think we were hoping that between the two, we'd get a push. Instead, we right. got an advantage. And, and then you take it a step further. You say, okay, the, turn, the raw turnover numbers are fine, but what do they tell us about the way the game was played? You know, what kind of turnovers? Marquette had 12 points off Michigan State's 13 turnovers. Michigan State had 19 points off Marquette's 16. That's plus seven. Now, that's not yeah. always a pure number because, um, yeah, you know. It, you score it, after a dead ball. Per, yeah, yeah, how yeah. much does that really tell you? But in this game, Michigan State's production at least was real. It absolutely was. And you'd say the nine steals too really gives, is a reflection of what Michigan State was doing defensively. Just absolutely, they were dialed right. in. They were dialed Awareness. in. You know, Marquette is a very difficult team to guard. The way the way that they move, the number of ball screens they put you through, the versatility of the five guys on the floor at pretty much all times, all makes them difficult to guard. And Michigan State was dialed in. Second key to the game. The threes, without a doubt, the only way Michigan State can win is if they hit a lot of threes, right, Rod? Yeah, Michigan State was a dreadful two for 16, and they got that second one just at the very end of the game. I mean, we I was sitting with my family, and we just kept saying, well, there's, there's, there's no chance they're going to stay in this game because Marquette's draining the threes. They hit nine of them. Right. And they were whenever they're open, they're hitting a Michigan State wide open threes. And it just, you know, not no one looked confident shooting them. But, you know, but here's the thing. What I, what I give Michigan State great credit for is actually a very difficult thing to do. When shots aren't falling like that and you're used to them falling, it is very easy to let that rattle you. Mm -hmm. Michigan right. State did, let not, it you, yeah. did not do that. They stayed focused and they continued taking open shots. And you can say, well, what, what good does that do if you keep missing them? But Joey Hauser didn't miss, mm -hmm. you know? And he didn't hesitate. And it's important. You get yourself into worse trouble when you let it get into your head. And they didn't do yeah. that. So I'm okay, even though the shots didn't fall. Look, Marquette is not quite that good a shooting team. <laughs> they shot, and, and honestly, they needed to, because if they had not shot that way, they would have gotten blown out. They desperately, yeah. well, they they desperately verge, yeah. needed that. Um, the Jones kid hit a couple that were just ridiculous shots, but you know what? He's a really talented player and he's proven to be able to hit those kind of shots. So, okay. You want to take one falling out of bounds from the corner and it goes, I guess I got to tip my hat, but, um, credit to them for hitting those shots, but it was, um, it was unusual. I, I, the whole thing was, and, and for Michigan state, to win two games like this again, it just, it's proof of what we spent time talking about at the outset. If yeah. you don't have a counter punch available, you are in trouble because somewhere along the line, when you're trying to make a four game run to get to a final four, somewhere along the line, the thing that you do best 
is either just not going to go for you or it's going to be taken away. That's how it is because you are playing high level opponents, especially once you get past the first round. And in Michigan state's case, actually the first round you are playing. I mean, what we're going to see if Michigan state manages to make a four game run in this regional, they will have seen a team from the pac 12, uh, big East today, big 12 is up next. And if they win that, most likely the sec so they're seeing and these were all good teams in those leagues even usc was a top four team or top three team i can't remember which in the pac-12 yeah they were like 14 and 6 in the pac-12 you know marquette won the big east regular season and tournament titles kansas state was in an incredibly deep league and they were very competitive and then you know tennessee was a very high level sec team so Michigan state is seeing these kind of teams that it should not be surprising that they're capable of taking some stuff away, but you got to be able to respond to that. And MSU did. I'll still feel better if they go nine of 20 from three against <laughs> Kansas state. Though. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, I think I want to say they're probably the two games combined. They have to be like seven for 30, 30 something. I oh mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, Probably Pretty terrible. Probably the two worst back-to-back shooting games they've had all year. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. And and I think you know both the, with the and most unusual thing about that game is it's not like they were highly contested, difficult threes for the most part. They're mostly right. open. The ones they were making, yeah, a couple just two weeks ago, right? Yep. All right. So the third key to the game is connected, and oh, you know, no question, we already talked yeah. about this. They were absolutely connected, and they, I felt like many times they knew what Marquette was going to do before Marquette did it. And I think that's a credit to the preparation that the players, and I think you know the, the thing that I think you know we talk about the prep and that is oh you know I'll get you there the next weekend stuff, but I think the fact that the players buy in so much to the preparation and understanding the film and going over those things, I think is really the key because they're the ones who have to go out and execute. They actually have to listen and pay attention and and you know go out there and, and pay attention you know and to to do what they're supposed to do when it comes to the um uh the the reports and they, they do and that was just like malik you know he was he was in the passing lanes i think you know aj did a couple times where they just they kind of knew where the pass was going because they knew what marquette's action was in certain plays i i think that you know with a lot of these guys coming back from last season they got to go through this and they took a right. loss, but I think I would think the experience of having gone through that and how well they played against Duke and really we're right there to win that game. We're right there. Um, that would, if it were me, that would give that experience would give me confidence that, you know what? The coaches have got this. We've just got to, we've just got to do our part to execute what we're being told. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about buy-in and they know the history, I mean, that, that stuff gets around. It's part That's of the, why re- they're, they're Michigan State. Part of, right. It's part of the reason they come to this program because this program <laughs> succeeds in March, you know? And, and so you would think it wouldn't be an impossible task to get that buy-in, but Hey, you know, individual agendas can come into play. There's all kinds of ways that it can derail. And it clearly has not with this team. They've had an up and down season. They've gone through a lot of stuff, but they've come out of it. The other side, I think with belief intact, with cohesion intact, they're playing their best, most connected defensive basketball of the year right now. They've proven that two straight games, 
particularly this one against a high-level offensive team that they made look very pedestrian. And, And, by the way, made them look very pedestrian on a day where one thing that they don't do exceptionally well, they were blistering at. I mean, Marquette was blistering from three. So even with them having done that, MSU still made them look pedestrian. That's, That's as much as you can ask for, man. Yeah, I think, you know, a, the great reflection of that is Tyler Kolek, the Big East player of the yeah. year. He finished, he played 29 minutes, had uh, four rebounds. He was two for eight from the field, two for three, five from three, but he had five assists, but six turnovers. Yep. And, you know, I think that's easily his worst outing of the season. And he was really largely ineffective and actually a, ne- a net negative probably now, for the team. I will, I will say this. Um, and we've certainly seen it happen with AJ and, and maybe other point guards over the years. When your point guard gets in foul trouble early, it can really knock things off kilter. And I don't think that kid ever fully recovered from that. Yeah. I don't think he ever really got into the game in the way that you would like. Um, there's also the fact that against Vermont, he did hurt his thumb and it didn't look like it affected him in this game, but I can't know for sure. Sure. Uh, But the bottom line is Michigan state harassed him and really, really gave him problems when he was trying to, except on rare occasions, he had a stretch at a point in the first half when they were trying to manage him, kind of get him in for offensive possessions and out on defensive Mm -hmm. possessions. So he didn't pick up a third foul. He had a stretch where he made some things happen. Uh, where you could see him kind of operating out of the post and then finding people. That's what he does. And he had a, he had some brief stretches where he was effective with that, but for the most part, MSU bottled him up. They just, they never made it easy on Marquette to move the ball. And that's, I mean, you can't put it more simply than that. That's what won the game is Marquette did not, was not able to operate with the freedom offensively that they're used to having. Just that simple. So the fourth key to the game was the glass. And Michigan State out-rebounded Marquette 36-31 overall. Michigan State had 30% offensive rebounding rate to Marquette's 28%. Michigan State had 15 second-chance points to Marquette's 8. And obviously, you know, the, the biggest rebound, of course, as you mentioned, was Millie Calls at the very end of the game there that, that sort of iced the game. But uh, especially early, Michigan State got a lot of work done yep. on the offensive boards and really and kept that kept them churning in that first half to give them a little bit of a you know cushion going into halftime. It felt bigger than those numbers illustrate. It did, I, think, it? Yeah. I think part of it was the last number you mentioned, which was the the second chance points. I think that's yeah. why because Michigan State did a lot more with theirs than Marquette did, and they just see sometimes that can be the case where. You know, the raw numbers aren't separated by that much, but the impact of the ones you get can be bigger. And I thought Michigan State's offensive rebounds were just much more impactful. Yeah, there's that one possession late in the second half or maybe midway through the second half where Marquette shot a three, missed, got a rebound, shot a three, missed, shot another three, missed. I mean, they're wide open ones that they yep. were kind of missing at that point. And that was one of those examples. They got a you know, bunch of offensive rebounds, but they weren't able to come away with any points, which you know was a huge miss opportunity for them. Uh, so the fifth key to the game, the sidelines, I think, you know, from, I mean, it's almost like the intangibles thing, but uh, yeah. one is not really technically related to Izzo, but certainly the, the arena was definitely pro MSU, which was, yep. had to have helped 
to some extent, uh, especially with all the other big names being wiped out of that tournament. There was really no one left besides kind of small schools in Michigan State, so that was helpful. But also, you know, Tom Izzo, we talked about this plenty. There's there's uh, no question and that they had an advantage. And I would just point out, you know, and this actually went back to the USC game, which we did not touch upon, but I thought it was important. I think he mentioned it after the game. But, you know, it's funny in life, you learn things and you may think you may might meet someone who's really experienced. They've been doing a job for like 20, 30 years and they've you've supposedly seen it all. You've known everything, but you're always learning. I mean, obviously the game basketball is changing all the time. So Izzo and his staff have to just adjust to sort of rule changes and just the way players play or whatever uh, and how things change. But also, you know, after that Iowa game, where Michigan State had that monumental collapse in Iowa City. Izzo said afterwards, he's like, yeah, that was a huge coaching mis- mistake on my part because I should have called timeout. I should have mm-hmm. told him, you know, what the situation is so that those players were aware. And you saw that in the USC game in the first round where they called timeout with like a minute left. And he kind of just said, you know, went over how many timeouts we have. We have a possession arrow, et cetera, et cetera. And Malik Hall got that rebound. I think they just... And he just called timeout right away. And I know what he did is he went over and said, okay, we got two time, you know, and went over all that stuff, kind of calmed the team down and said, we're going to, we got this, we're going to be okay. And I think that's an example of someone who you would think a guy, a Hall of Fame coach, there's nothing left to learn, right? But he's, I don't know about humility, but certainly a recognition that you can't know everything and that you are always learning and then you have to adapt and to change and make yourself better at whatever it is that you do. Well, and, and also that you are always learning you know, the nature of, of college athletics is that the, the guys you're dealing with are constantly changing because you only have them for so long. And so you can, Mm -hmm. you can think, you know, what's best in a general sense, but it might not be best for the particular group you have. Right. And so you're definitely always learning about that if nothing else. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. And look, I want to say, you know, I've been very negative on Shaka Smart for a long, long, long time. <laughs> and I still, although he's he's changed, I've I've gotten less vociferous about it since he got to Texas because he started, you know, he junked his full court press stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's playing in a sounder way. I look at the way his Marquette team played today, and I don't really have any objections to it. Didn't see that stylistically. No, no, no. They they're aggressive, and you can argue whether that's a sounder way to play than say the way Michigan State plays defensively. But it's not wildly so. No. Um. So I give him credit for that, but I, I really, some of the stuff he said leading up to this game about his relationship with Izzo and just the way he conducted himself, I was I, I'm really impressed. You know, and that's yeah. easy to say when Michigan State wins, but I would have said the same thing if they'd <laughs> lost. Believe me, um, I don't agree with everything. You know, there I'll tell you, I, I'll, I'll <laughs> there was a big moment late-ish, and I can't remember exactly how many minutes were left. It was probably at around the five-minute mark. Marquette was down two, and there was a stoppage in play, and they were shooting two free throws. And the sideline reporter talked about, the contrast in the benches and that all Shaka had done during that timeout was instruct his guys to breathe. Oh, right. And look, that's, you know, that's fine. I don't want to, I don't want to come down too hard, you know, whatever works, different styles, you know, different horses for different courses, all that stuff. 
But <laughs> I can assure you that a breathing exercise was not going on in the Michigan State Hub. And I know which way I'd rather go. <laughs> so that would, but that was honest to God. I, you know, and again, it's easy to say now, but honest to God, it's the truth. I remember when that was said, thinking Michigan State just won this game because I know that they're going to be locked in on what they need to be locked in on to win this game. They're not, they're not going to be talking about guys, just relax, just take it easy. That's that stuff's got a place, but I don't think it has a place. It just wouldn't be my, I wouldn't want the coach of my program to be doing that as opposed to the kind of things that Tom Izzo does challenging guys, getting into them, coaching them hard. You know, that's, that's what I want to see. And also allowing them the freedom to come back at them. Having that kind of atmosphere yeah. where guys feel a very real ownership of the program because they're encouraged to, and they're encouraged to speak up for themselves. They better be right, but they're encouraged to speak up for themselves. So that was a, but, but again, having said all of that, I still, um, I come away from this, this weekend uh, with, with more respect for Shaka smart. And he, and he's had a great season. There's no doubt about that. Nobody saw this kind of year coming from our cat and for them to have the year they've had, Hey, it was a success. And they're young enough that as long as they keep this group together, they should be right back in this position next year. I mean, there's no reason that they shouldn't be very, very good once again. So it shouldn't be a one and done kind of deal for Marquette. I think they, they're going to have opportunities with this group to, to get back here and maybe go beyond this. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, looking just at the, their first two opponents, you know, USC will be joining the Big Ten in a couple of years. Yep. And this is not like getting a – I was actually impressed with the USC that they're going to be a good addition from a basketball standpoint. Obviously, football, there's no question that they're going to be a good addition. But they're, you know, competent. It's it's quiet because other than UCLA and Arizona, and I guess in some rare instances maybe Oregon, nobody pays any attention to what happens in the Pac-12. I mean, that's just yeah. a fact. No, nobody knows anything. In 2009, <laughs> Michigan State played a 10-seeded USC team that had two pros on it. <laughs> yeah. Good pros. That How that team was a 10-seed will forever remain a mystery to me. Um, <laughs> USC has been, particularly the Andy Enfield area, before that, they were kind of up and down. You know, Tim Floyd was the coach in 09, and they had some success under him. Um, they had some success in the early nineties when Harold minor, one of the first baby Jordans was mm-hmm. there. Um, but it yeah. was a very inconsistent program, but Andy Enfield has been at USC. I think it's like seven or eight years now. And I think they've been to the tournament, maybe six of those. They've been to three in a row. I know that. Um, so I agree. I think that they're going to be a solid addition. This is not you know, Rutgers when they came in or Nebraska or Penn state, this is going to be, I mean, we know what UCLA will be. UCLA will be an instant title contender. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but USC is going to be one of those programs that fall into that category of programs like, you know, Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin, these programs that you're figuring, okay, more often than not, they're going to be in the tournament mix. 
Yeah. You know? So yeah, they're a very, very solid basketball addition too. I would agree with that. As long as they keep Andy Enfield. Well, Michigan state again, wins 69, 60 to advance to the sweet 16 for the first time since 2019. They'll be facing the Kansas State Wildcats from the Big 12 Conference in Madison Square Gardens on Thursday as we're recording. I don't think we have a time yet. And um, I don't know, any final thoughts besides, I mean, I'm super excited. I was very uh, pessimistic <laughs> during the game when Michigan State was down two and just, you know, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn from three. And I thought, there's just no way. Because, you know, I listened to the show, Rod, and we know they need to hit threes. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. During the thing that should have should have been encouraging was Marquette was never able to get breathing room. Even when they took the lead, Yeah, they were because Michigan state's defense never withered. They stayed with it. And, and I think that was obviously that was a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, that even when MSU was struggling offensively, they hung in there on defense, didn't allow Marquette to get any, any space. And then when Michigan State's offense found itself again, that was it. That was the ball game. Well, we'll be back for a preview for the Kansas State game in a little bit. We're going to try and get another special content this week. We'll try and set something up with an interview with someone, but we'll see if we can make it work. Um, again, if you want to support the show, please head over to tffinots.com slash support. They'll give you one-time and recurring monthly options for supporting the show, which we greatly appreciate and allows us to bring all this extra content and make sure you support our sponsors as well. Go to nudgeprinting.com. You get 20% at checkout by entering Final Four. Or the brothers at Just Do Gutters, if you're on the west side of the state of Michigan, to have your gutter work worked on, uh, you can contact Kurt Stauffer and his team and 10% off if you mention Final Four. And so uh, two more st- steps away, and then I might actually have some someone agreeing to watch when I'm, when I'm at the Final Four, so I'm very excited. So until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. <music> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.